I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation focused on intentional leadership with Gunnar Habits, Senior Partner and Alliance Manager Asia Pacific at Hootsuite, and Eternal Creative Entrepreneur. Gunnar's a great storyteller and kicks off our conversation sharing how he made the decision to come to Australia from Switzerland and his deliberate move to engage in formal leadership training with the Australian Institute of Management and now as a chartered manager through the Institute of Managers and Leaders. If you're developing yourself or others on that journey from accidental manager to intentional leader, then you'll find this conversation jam-packed with nuggets of learning and roadmaps for decision-making. Enjoy your time with Gunnar. I first met Gunnar Habits when I was speaking on the topic of the brain and habits. And Mr. Habits was on the speaking bill too. So as you can imagine, we hit it off immediately with our habits in common. Gunnar is a man of many talents, working as a senior partner and alliance manager for Asia Pacific at Hootsuite. And the inner entrepreneur never being far away, he continues to offer professional development initiatives that serve his passion for matching people with technology to thrive and prosper. Gunnar lives in Sydney, Australia, and how he came to settle here is a story worth listening to in itself. Today, we're going to be talking about the concept, practice and philosophy of intentional leadership. Gunnar, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Hello, Claire. Good to be here. Yeah, it is. It's taken a while for us and we got there in the end. So, Gunnar, before we delve into our topic of intentional leadership today, I'm curious to explore this journey that you took, I mean, both physically and mentally and emotionally, to arrive in Sydney from Switzerland some four years ago. So can you sort of roll back the uh, the clock four years and tell us a little bit about how you ended up here? Uh, happy to do this. So funny enough, I ended up here, first of all, by cruise ship. So that was the best way how to arrive in a city when you arrive in Circular Quay and early in the morning to see how Sydney is waking up passing through the harbour and see the Sydney Opera House. That is one of the, maybe the best entrances you can have in a city uh, like mm. New York or maybe even a little bit better. But that was only my very first impression. There was no intention at that time to, to ever move to Sydney at all. So then taking back the time, I've been working for 16 and a half years at the same company in Switzerland. I had a great career over there in the IT, developed myself from consultancy into general, into sales, into sales management. But for a corporate reason, one moment I got the chance to do something else, so to say, because mm -hmm. some management positions were taken out. And I took it rather as a chance for a change and considered what else in life would be there. And then mm -hmm. I realized as well that it's good to have a kind of a break like a sabbatical, as we call it today. But also I've seen that I didn't have any formal leadership training. I only have been managing people. And um, I thought there might be a good place for this. And instead of going to St. Gallen in Switzerland, it would be the best way to study that uh, back home. I thought there yeah. might be another place as well. We traveled three months 
across New Zealand, including one week in Australia, coming here to Sydney. And I realized that not only Sydney or Australia is a place of great um, education system, but also that there is no better place on the planet, maybe, for people who are in the software industry like myself. There are so many companies being here active. That's great. The density is can never be higher anywhere else. So I thought about, why not to come here to Sydney for a trial? So I studied at the Australian Institute of Management for two months yeah. in 2016. And then I really fell in love with the city, with the diversity of the suburb, of the cultures, and with the marketplace here. And I thought, there is a place for me. Ah, so so I mean it's a it's a big decision you're coming to the other side of the world. So it was it was a deliberate step in your leadership career. Indeed, because I thought why should I do the same of the same over and over again? To be in the Hamsterville of one company to do a similar one in the same place, and I thought there might be something else in life. So I put a list of seven cities uh, where I could potentially be interested in, in moving to. Sydney was on number eight, but Sydney made it. <laughs> and so in terms of eight jumping up the ladder to number one, was it the things that you just mentioned around the culture and the opportunities for IT-based work? I think it has a lot to do with this beautiful location that Sydney has here in mm. Australia, so that, of course, is something what I like. I'm a big fan of historical cities, and in, in Australia, this, of course, is very historical. All of these older buildings, uh, which are well, well kept, that I like a lot, the uh, a big portion was related to the people. In Australia, and also in mm. Sydney, is particularly much easier to get in contact, not only from expert to expert, but rather with those who are living here in the first, second, third, fifth, seventh, tenth generation, and yeah. to feel more integrated instead of just accepted. It's much so better Gunnar, here you... to get into networking as well compared to uh, back in Europe. Yeah, that, that was actually the question I was going to ask because I'm assuming having chosen Sydney, it wasn't as if you had a huge network of family and friends to integrate into. How many people did you know when you arrived here? Actually two independent from each other, and both are living in Melbourne, maybe 10 kilometers from each other, without knowing each other. So these are the only two people who I knew. Wow. Uh, okay, so tell me about then, how did you how did you start to grow your network and and what, what work opportunities did you find? So in terms of the network, the beauty is when you start uh, do a leadership training of a very practical institute, like uh, the Australian Institute of Management, um, there are people from all walks of life, not only from the same type of companies, from larger, from smaller companies, from government, mm -hmm. uh, from public. Uh, so that gave me a good understanding how the people operating in their workplace, how it is to work there, how it is to live there. Then I yeah. had the chance to also, instead of renting an apartment for two months, I thought better is to keep the momentum of being on the trip, on the journey. So I've been in 12 different Airbnbs and hostels and different type of <laughs> accommodations that at least I had an understanding about the diversity, how, how it's to talk to the landlord, how it is to live in a very old unrenovated terrace house or in a high-rise building, Kiribili, when there is vivid to see the best view. And I, I really understood the how different all of the suburbs are. And then I had the chance to talk to many of them. I've, mm -hmm. I've done... Um, Deliberate decision also to join um, 
some meetup groups and even internations, which is a well-known expert network, which has lots of events ongoing where people from who are coming new to a country can meet others. Uh, where on internation it's more the expats, where on meetup it's more many locals as well. And I, yeah. I really found the nice place to not tell everyone, hey, I need a job, but rather listen to their stories and uh, maybe adding some kind of questions and comments how I can help them with a little bit of my life experience that I have and connect the dots and, and provide some help instead of uh, doing anything else. And that was exactly the key moment to get into very good discussion with them. And they, of course, have been quite curious how it can be that somebody from Switzerland uh, has interest in going to Australia. Yeah, so you've got a good conversation starter. But also, I know from the times that we've met and the conversations that we've had, this is one of your core values and your core philosophies around listen to people, listen to their stories, see how you can add value. And that's your way of influencing, of building rapport. And at the end of it, often business will result. Is that right? That's your, your I suppose, your philosophy around selling is giving. Yeah, exactly. I call it, uh, in that sense, um, active listening. And I always say even curiosity is a very good driver um, for leadership. It's a great driver for a salesperson because it's not just to, to try to pitch, even on networking events, to tell, I am do this, I am that, buy me, mm. but rather to learn about the other person, particularly when you come new to a place, curiosity is the best driver. Not wanting anything in return immediately, believe in the giver's gain mentality, and yeah. one day it will help. And it did help. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, I think, to be genuinely interested in someone rather than trying to be interesting um, is the is the greatest attitude that you can adopt in terms of building relationships, and I just want to go back to um, back to the decision. So you did your leadership training with the Australian Institute of Management, and and the the title of this podcast is the intentional leader. And I think we're both acutely aware, Gunnar, of so many people who are um, technical experts subject matter experts who are promoted into management and leadership positions, um, but without being given the skills, the tools, the competencies, the attributes to do the job. And th this isn't in the list of questions that I sent you, so I hope I'm not, uh, I'm not putting you on the spot. But going back to your time, your job in Switzerland when you were leading and managing people, what were some of the maybe mistakes or traps that you fell into because you were more of that accidental leader than intentional leader at that time? Yeah, that is true. So then when I've been in that in that company, I started as a consultant by myself. I've been a product manager for seven years. I, I stepped the career ladder based on individual contributor position, doing myself, become an expert in that field. Exactly this, as you mentioned, this technical uh, expert, so to say. And then I got the chance to lead a sales team across a European region of Central Eastern Europe, which was about 32 people across 29 countries. So That's that a was, big team. <laughs> it's a big starting point. And most of them I had to manage uh, in a virtual way. So remotely, mm -hmm. there was not much about Zoom or something like this in 2011, but at least mm. I had the chance of visiting them. And as I've been more senior than, than most of my team members, I went through some of the challenges already beforehand. 
but I tried not to be the one who who told them I've done it this way, you must do that same way, but yeah. rather to try to adopt my learning from an earlier time when Switzerland went to the maturity ladder of these type of product categories and adopting it then when the other countries like, um, in my case, was Czech Republic, Poland, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and so on, when those people had the same maturity level that Switzerland maybe some years earlier, so I could adopt some of my learning and experience with the challenges of the team today and to come collaboratively to a good decision or conclusion how to go after this one. But indeed, it was an accidental management role. Had some internal management trainings and over there. But it's, mm -hmm. it, it took a while until I really came into this intentional leadership, which is uh, it's a different approach uh, compared to just being promoted as a manager without any kind of uh, intention behind that. Great. So, so what were some of the sort of main aha moments or key learnings from you? Because you immersed yourself in this leadership training. Um, what were some of the major things that you got out of it that you're able to still use today with your teams? You mean out of my initial management experience or later out of the trainings? Out of the training, yeah. So the, the interesting thing at the um, Australian Institute of Management was the fact that there were people from all over and the whole curriculum was built out of different type of areas, being it people management, risk management, uh, uh, business management, a lot of different type of functions which are necessary for this advanced diploma. What I got out of this was in particular as it has been delivered face-to-face, -face, not just online, because that you can do mm -hmm. from everywhere, but the reflection and discussion together with the facilitators, which have been very outstanding and well chosen by the Institute, because they're really practitioners and uh, well regarded in the field instead of just a teacher type of uh, person. So that was one yeah. side, the exchange with the facilitators who I'm still very connected to with most of them, although it's four years ago, and also the reflection in talking to the other participants, how they would adopt some of the learning in their workplace. So that was for mm -hmm. me that... Uh, an aha moment in taking my curiosity approach, knowing I will not end up in the same type of company as beforehand, but I moved mm -hmm. then later to a much smaller company, uh, more humble, where not all of resources would, would exist. So that was for me a good learning um, um, during these uh, training times. And even I got the chance from the Institute to adopt the, the work that I had to do, the assessments, based on either the new workplace or even the older one, as long as not longer ago than one year before uh, commencing the study, so that I could do a reflection on both sides of it. Ah, uh, oh, that, that was a very good one. That's interesting. So can you remember some of the work that you did on reflection from when you were working in Switzerland and some of the key learnings that came out of that? I think two of these major long pieces uh, in this leadership training was around, one of them was about business management, the other one was about people management. So both I've done reflectively about the time in Europe. The business relationship in particular, business management, because I've been managing a business unit, so to say, that I had my own profit mm -hmm. and loss and had to really plan the business uh, from a half year, from a quarterly perspective uh, to drill down the quota into the countries to really drive it as my own business. So there's that part of leadership behind, which of course starts with the reverse engineering, what do I need to do in order to achieve that number at the end? Uh, and so yeah. on, there was a lot of this corporate culture behind what I 
still can use today, which is a good one. The other one was on the on the people management side, which I take a bit more into leadership than just management. Um, yeah. I don't like too much about this black and white say that managers are, are the, not the nice side of seeing it and leadership is the proper one because we are managing tools and we are leading people. But these black and white pictures give us some kind of direction, so to say. The people leadership part I enjoyed in Europe because I had this huge amount of virtual leadership. I didn't see my members on a daily basis, not at all. They were in completely different countries. But then sometimes didn't even know where I've been. Sometimes I popped up in a country without them, all of them being totally aware of this one. That is a beauty when you travel <laughs> 90 nights a year in a hotel. Uh, not these days. Uh, but at least it was a good chance also to develop the people further. And what my big learning was, when you go in an area like also in Asia Pacific, where you have different maturity level of country development, but also of people, then you cannot yeah. expect necessarily that everyone is at the same the same space, at the same type of development stage. So then when I went, for example, the first time to Poland, um, where I thought it was a rather mature, but in many areas it has not necessarily been. So then I had to more mentor than coach them. So better to say, better give them answers yes. instead of asking the right questions. And that was a good learning for me. Um, and they really wanted to know, how have you done this in the same situation a couple of years back? And uh, it was for me a learning to not simply say this, but rather try to adopt it into the current state because you can never compare what worked in the very past to adopt it to today. And the year 2020 yeah. tells us this exactly. Yeah, no, that's and and I, I really and I really like that distinction that you make around you manage tools and you lead people. I've had a similar reaction to sort of you know management is uh, just looking at the detail and making sure all the processes and the systems are in place. And and I think that's an old paradigm. I think that goes back to sort of the the eighties command and control style management. And and would you agree? I think we've moved on from that now. Um, but one sentence here, often this is in blog posts associated with the, the leadership, the good one, the management, rather the bad one. As a good leader, it, in particular as a servant leader, it is my job to manage the tools that I can lead my people. So it always has a management component and a leadership component inside. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And um, so I, need I, to I'm, that I'm, my team has everything available to be successful. Absolutely. And so I'm going to jump back again because I realized that I asked you a question and you gave me a great answer, but it wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I wanted to know. Welcome to, welcome to politics. <laughs> when you were back in Switzerland, when you were still in your sort of accidental manager, accidental leader position, um, were there, was this you know, a, a mistake that you made or or a way that you worked that wasn't as effective as it could have been had you had that leadership and management training? Yes, I know where you come from. And indeed, we didn't cover that one. So there were, there were surely situations where I, when I take myself as a visionary and participative leader, which are more milestones compared to the directive ones, where yeah. then maybe the European head office wanted me to more drill down and simply force the team to do things. 
where I knew the results would not come anyway. So I wanted to always get in kind of an exception because I've been in the more emerging region instead of the more mature region. So always raised flagged exceptions of this one, which have not been always granted, which is, of course, a mistake uh, or mm. let's say a challenge, so to say. And based on this, the learning for me was when you play the, when you act as a servant leader, you take a lot on your own shoulders. And that for me was a big learning to not always allow this. Uh, but in that sense, when you manage a region of countries and you have um, some senior managers above you, you're sitting basically in a sandwich. And the question mm. for me was, how can I handle this not to run into a burnout, but at the yeah. same time to be clear what is possible, what is not possible. And at that time, I, I, I wish I had better type of, let's say, the uh, theoretical knowledge and uh, the practice from some who went through the same kind of challenges instead of trying to do everything to please everyone, which of course doesn't work at the time, instead of simply saying, yeah. we will not do this. I believe in more in the leadership part of allowing the team to do what they believe what's right when we agree on this one from a mid and long term, instead of simply only saying, now we must close the number for this quarter and therefore we change everything. And after two weeks, we go back to the to the mode that we have been beforehand. Yeah, yeah, and, I hear you. And I wanted to I wanted to make sure that this pressure of politics is not landing on the shoulders of my team because they are the ones, particularly in sales, they are the ones who are selling. So did did you have you had to shield them from the politics? I kept as a filter to motivate downstream, but not too much press downstream, rather yeah. encourage, enable, and not simply press down. Mm. Thank you. So tell me a I little bit about, to, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I, okay. wanted to, I wanted them to understand why it makes sense to go a certain way. And I never wanted them to say, Gunnar, because you are my boss, I do it. Yeah. I, th I think you know, the why is probably the most important word or question in leadership where sometimes when we have the pressure um, to deliver, sometimes we forget to offer the why or to have the curiosity and inquire about the why. And all the focus is on this is what needs to be done. This is how we need to be do it. This is how we need to do it. But without understanding the why, we're not helping develop that internal motivation for people to do it. I love that. I, I love that quote from uh, from Frederick Nietzsche, which is, you know, he who has a why to live can bear almost anyhow. Yeah. So my point here is often this topic of why, particularly in, in, in books like Start with Why from Simon Sinek, it's very often talking about the leader. What's the, what's the why of a leader? But for me as a leader, I'm so curious to find out the why of my team members, why they are there, why are they, in, for example, in sales, as in my case, what is their view where they would like to go after and, and what's all the background. If I better understand their why and every member is different, I can better yeah. address and can lead better. It's not just the why of the leader. Absolutely. I fully agree. And I'm again, you've piqued my curiosity at, at, at leading such a, 
a diverse team, a large team, a diverse team leading virtually. How did you bring them together for a collective why? I mean, <laughs> you know, that that's a big job. <laughs> It is a big job, in particular when for the product categories that we've been uh, going after, in none of the countries we have been a number one. But there was wow. sometimes a number two, a number three, but there was a target to get us higher. So then I, I developed a collective strategy, a collective why, how we can be the leader in that sense in that particular region, uh, country by country, and made them also understand that some countries who thought, oh, we are only number four anyway. I said, no, 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 you might be a smaller country, but it's even more critical that you play your role as well and see yourself growing in this area because I connected it, um, this um, number game to to get some numbers, not by only by salary and commission, but also uh, what it means for them and their career later when they can prove that they have the chance to grow. Grow as a person, not just grow as results. And I combined this all together. Oh, and that's, also, such a, that's such an important, I just want to emphasize that is such an important point where you measure progress, you measure growth, and it's not all results oriented. Um, sorry, carry on. Yeah. And if you, if you see from a planning point of view, very often companies are looking into this quarter and the next quarter. And particularly when you look in sales here in Australia, in IT sales, very often we hear that people are moving on every 15 or 18 months and find another job in another company, I rather took the approach of what, how can I develop them further? How can I give them the chance from a junior sales to a senior sales over time to make rather a long-term planning with them to, to address a couple of options which are possible? And as a result of this, to create a pathway into this one, which also mm. can include adding some kind of incremental tasks or roles that's how I got into sales. I've been only on as a consultant, then into, into product. But then I got the chance um, to develop three accounts and I sold and uh, succeeded in all of them to sold them products. I realized oh, this quota of uh, 100% of every customer I got to, to, to sell to them, I will never, never be able to stick to this in life. But at least it was a good door opener that is possible. Mm. And I wanted to give this to my team members as well. And to your question, how I brought them together. I brought them indeed together from all of those countries um, three times that we all met together. And that was the great stuff as well. Uh, so three three times a year or three times in total? Uh, every year once. Um, we met in, once was in Czech Republic, there was a factory to visit this all together. And when you mm -hmm. see as a salesperson how much labor is behind creating a product and shipping this, then you don't think about discounting so much because you see the effort of, of the workers to make that happen. That was my message. That's and for a really the second one, point. Yeah. Yep. That was really on purpose to do the, the, the guided tour over there um, as well. And for the second one, I brought them all to an outsourced center in, in Romania where there was 4,000 people from the company who have all these centralized functions, which in Asia-Pacific you very often have in countries like yeah. the Philippines, when normally you think that's an email address, but they are well-educated people who unfortunately mm. never have the chance to travel to the country. So then I thought then when they can, can't come to us, we go to them. So then I took the whole team with about, uh, yeah, with everything together, maybe about 30, 35 people. And we went then there, which for some countries meant a longer trip 
in uh, changing flights. But it mm -hmm. was really worth the effort because then we got a better understanding about those outsourced functions, the human beings behind the progression that they do. Yeah. And they have done an extra effort for us because we built a relationship with them and we didn't treat them as a function, but as two colleagues where everyone has a shared part of the total work to be done. Yeah. That they're still part of the tribe. And I would imagine that that sense of appreciation increased in your team of all the, the cogs that form the greater uh, machine, so to speak, and how it all how it all works in the end and understanding each of those little pieces and how they form the greater whole. Indeed. It was really grouping the people together and I totally enjoyed that. Um, and to show them, our team, and also the, um, the, uh, the outsourced uh, colleagues over there, that we are all sitting in the same boat. So some of my central functions, myself and my direct reports who are at central um, roles, we together have been even, even acting something. So then um, I went to a studio to record a song. It was uh, Go West from the Petra Boys. I wrote the lyrics and <laughs> called it Go In. And we have done some <laughs> photographs of this one. And um, yeah, that's what I showed them there at that location with all together 70 people in the room. I cannot sing. I've proven this, but uh, trying and doing the effort in there really paid off. Oh, well, I, I absolutely take my hat off to you because I can't sing. And I'm I, I, it's one thing that I still need to... Uh, uh, pluck up the courage to do to do in front of people just to say that to say that I did it so I definitely I admire you for that gonna absolutely so going back to the, the the theme of intentional leadership that's why I was really I was really keen to be in conversation with you today because I know it's something that's really important to you and you've you've been through that journey from sort of accidental manager and leader to intentional leader so what if I if I say the word intentional leadership, what does that mean for you, Gunnar? So for me, it, it means particularly the move from my interest in products and processes into people. And right. uh, that was something that I developed over the time when I have been a manager that I really would like to get more and develop my team members further. And partially, if, even when it means when I didn't have anything as an ideal job that partially even outside of the company, but ensure mm -hmm. and see them growing. That was more my interest instead of just the market share growth or revenue numbers. So then that's when I realized it's more intention there to develop others, to give back to the, uh, to the community and to the marketplace. And that's when then the intention came in. Ah. And in, in terms of, in terms of like a, um, an organization's culture, can you, can you see that, that a culture of intentional leadership exists? How would you know it exists? If you look into an organization from outside, then you can see and simply find out how long are people there, particularly how long are non-managers there, if they mm -hmm. go away very fast or if they would like to stay and develop themselves further because it normally requires also that their managers or leaders see it in the same way. 
So that is that is one external view how to find that out. When you're inside of a company, then you realize, of course, if 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 the boss has interest to, to develop something further, not only because there is a duty to have a career discussion by a formality, but also you feel when 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 the boss really would like and, and would like to encourage you and going that way. So I had this myself um, many years back before I had my management role. Uh, my my boss, she actually mentioned, Gunnar, it's time for you. I see what you can do, uh, that you have interest in developing not just products, but also people further. But for me, it was too early because the position that was associated with it had the most boring products I could ever imagine. <laughs> so then what, it was nice to be with people but when you're around and represent a product category in the market, in the country, than to get from something very sexy and modern into something boring and old-fashioned, only because the chance of getting in mm. into a management role. Um, I didn't realize at that point yet that I could have, should have maybe done that, but everything comes for a good reason. So therefore, the later I had the chance uh, to get further on that. So what I'm hearing is that a, a, a culture of intentional leadership is where there's an absolute proactive approach to develop a learning organization, to develop people to see, to help, to guide, to facilitate their progress, um, as well as, of course, all the other um, strategic analytical operations. But you can see that what you know. You said that that active encouragement of people, and and. So where you are now at Hootsuite, how would you describe the culture of Hootsuite? And I don't even know if you've, because you've only recent joined, recently joined Hootsuite, so I don't know how much opportunity you've had to be in the offices because we're still working from home through the pandemic. Indeed, we are still working from home. So I remember I've seen the office during interview stage, um, but that was the only uh, official moment to really see this, not having a badge for that yet. But uh, Hootsuite is in particular one organization where culture is a very important point, And you feel this not just by watching in the checkpoint that I've done earlier, that people are progressing inside the organization. That, that became now, of course, even more obvious for me to see. But it's also in a way how the whole organization everywhere is interested in developing people and, and, and be together, achieve something together. Mm -hmm. Because uh, that becomes valid and relevant then when a situation like an onboarding process has to be now delivered completely out of the home office. And the mm. effort which is there from all the team members, not only my manager, but from everyone, uh, how the three new starters, I've been only one of three, yeah. how we can progress and to be as fast as possible at a good state that we can run ourselves, there you see the team effort. And that is part of the culture. And that's what I liked a lot. And, and and that's testament to a strong, healthy culture where you feel that and you haven't even spent time physically with people since you started. Yeah, basically we see ourselves just in front of the screen, but we do a lot of screen sharing. So that's good and it builds trust to develop something together. We use all of the modern tools which are there for collaboration. Um, and that, of course, shows the effort. Mm. So, gonna just think thinking about thinking about this and the whole sort of aspect of 
Um, I think the, uh, the, the program that the Institute of Managers and Leaders runs is from accidental manager to intentional leader. And I'm, I'm not asking you for a solution, an answer. I think, I think there's a, a bigger problem. But we still, it, we still seem to be making the same mistakes in business where subject matter experts, technical experts are recruited into people management positions and these people really struggle. Um, what's your perspective on this? What's your view on this? So I witnessed this as well all over my career that uh, people are promoted because they are great in their part what they are doing. So and if you can, you can take it from a sports point of view, a great football player doesn't need to be a great coach. Some of the best yeah. coaches in the world, they have been rather average players. It's different type of skill set. So therefore, if you take from, from a typical sales point of view, the traditional lonely wolf salesperson or the traditional stereotype uh, used car salesman, mm. they might not have the right leadership skills in their DNA, but they might be high achievers by themselves. So therefore, if those people are moved into a leadership position, it is for me also often a leadership mistake from, from their superiors. You cannot necessarily yeah. make this without analyzing what type of team they would need to take over. So better when you announce it that some person will take over to address a coaching program before they start and accompany this for another three to six months to ensure that they can develop themselves quickly enough to add this servant leadership style instead of the egoistic um, yeah. own sales approach. So that for me is a critical one. When that is not, not done well, then the new team, so to say, or the team which is taken over by that person might not accept the leader well enough, in particular yeah. not when the chosen person has been part of of the same collection of peers. Mm -hmm. You know, I, Gornada, I think that's such an important point that you just made because what I'm hearing from you is to say, let's give these people a chance, but we coach them in advance and we give them every opportunity to succeed. And maybe still then, if it's, if it's not for them, if it's something that they don't, feel right with then we haven't lost a good person in the organization there's still another way that they can go is 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 that what you is that what you were sharing because i think it's a really really it's a really important point it is an important point particularly if you take someone who's exceptionally well in their own part is then put a, a thrown into the water of a management position and if it doesn't work you lose two you lose the young manager, so to say, but you also lose the former individual contributor because uh, that person might not be able to get back into where it has been beforehand. So therefore, the process of getting someone up to a management position of people responsibility uh, is important to make that proper. And it, 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 there are enough of reasons why this can be stuck because someone is maybe leaving the company, a leader is gone, and someone else needs to be immediately chosen for this one. But one way of seeing, of course, where you have talented people who might be able to, to lead a team, there are some functions beforehand. Somebody can get uh, extra assignments. Somebody can have some yeah. kind of more project-related uh, leadership 
tests uh, or maybe they can be encouraged also to lead in a volunteering type of um, um, organization as well to develop these critical skills that might be a part of a, of a development plan as well that is very often I, underestimated. I think, yeah, that that's really important. So we're creating pathways for people. We're creating pathways to success. We're not setting them up to fail. And I've seen this particular when we went to this uh, mentioned outsourcing center in Romania. You could see who of them is individual contributor and who of them is a team lead before they become mm -hmm. a manager. You can really see there was a quite well well-designed process in place to choose the right people to develop them before they are official mm -hmm. managers, but to give them responsibility to let them get their first uh, uh, steps in 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 this role of uh, managing managing team without being officially their boss, and then let them yeah. go further. That was developed very very well. That's brilliant. So, so you, as their leader, you're constantly observing. You're looking out for for traits, leadership traits, and attributes that they that they demonstrate, and then you can help foster that to to grow them and develop them into that leadership position. Yeah, for me, that's very critical. As a leader, we need to also get the people below, so to say, below us to develop them up as well. One yeah. day, we might not be in our position as well. We need to ensure that we have not just a backup for holidays, but to ensure that the system is still working when the leader is not there for a day or two yeah. or a year or whatever. Yeah, I hear you. No, I and mean, that is you know. big, So that is a big difference compared to in the past when then the manager thought when, when he or she is not there, nothing is working anymore to prove mm. the... Um, the necessity of, of them being there, but exactly the opposite is the case. It should yeah. run smoothly. Well, that, that, was, that was ego-based and it was fear-based as well. So, you know, my job is to make myself indispensable when in reality, the, the, the better approach would be to make yourself redundant because you've created such a capable, a capable team around you. Uh, indeed. And I looked into um, what I learned also at the Institute of Managers and Leaders, and I continued uh, there my journey, uh, also became a chartered manager. And then I looked into when I really take this whole, uh, the concept of intentional leader, as it's starting with an I, I, tried to, uh, I started to describe what's important for me in a leader uh, with seven words all starting with an I. And that's what I actually wrote in one story called From Accidental Manager to Intentional Leader. And that was interesting to see that to really reflect on the journey, which is part of the uh, assessment in the Chartered Manager site. And I put seven words with I, let me tell them. Impact, influence, inspiration, improve, instruction, interest because curiosity starts with a C, so I will put interest over there. And the last okay. one is in, the last one is imperfection, which is which sounds strange with the other words, but it shows me it's an ongoing journey. It will never be perfect. I love that. I love that. I'll, I'll make sure if that's okay with you to uh, to put those in the show notes at the end because I think it's a it's it's a great philosophy. Thank you. Now I'm going to change tack slightly. I'm, I'm realizing we haven't got too much time, but I'm just, I'm really enjoying this conversation. So towards the end of last year, um, you were featured as a contributor in, in the business book, Lessons I Learned. 
what would you tell your younger self? I want to know, what would you tell your younger self? So this, this book, Lessons I Learned, has my story, which I call From Late Off to Paid Off, which actually talks about the story from taking a workforce redundancy as a chance for a change towards a better self. Instead of me going back to another similar company in Switzerland to do something very similar, I thought there must be a good chance to progress further. And sometimes it happens in our careers that there's a chance where you can really pivot and get a couple of steps higher at once. And even it can come to times when it goes down at the first time. So when you go into a typical change curve that you first need need to really accept that there is an, that there is an issue, And until you're really getting out of this one, it might take a while. And that is exactly what I've been doing until I came to Australia and I landed here. So I described this a little bit on my own journey, in particular how I found then my network over here and how I became, uh, let's say, how I completed my journey from a um, shy introvert as I was born into a strategic networker, a bit more on the extrovert side. And I put this also into seven letters. Uh, in this in this uh, book, and I can simply tell this letter. So, at first, I thought in this journey was welcome to reality. So that's that's where the R comes from to get to get a kind of a trigger event from outside, which in my case was a workforce redundancy. And my learning was not I was made redundant; the job was made redundant. So that's a big yes. big difference. Then yeah. the next time when this happens, and these times, unfortunately, it happens too many given the economic uh, downturn that we face these days. So then I thought, okay, let's take some time off. So I take the O. And the third one, I check the alternatives, the A. Should I go back to another hamster wheel next to the one where I've been? Or could I become my own coach or consultant or whatever I would like to do? Normally, mm -hmm. when people are employed for a long time, they never think about really alternatives, viable alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. And then I want to do a deep dive into myself. That's a D. Because to really reflect on and put a gap analysis, where I've been, what's missing, that's how I came on really this idea of leadership um, program. Number five, invest in your mastery, which is a letter M. talks about exactly how I've done this, this program at the Australian Institute of Management. Number six is action to get back on track. Because finally, with this huge excitement of the marketplace over here, it took me a bit, but then I found my role in a company who really would like to get me, including sponsorship visa. So it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And number seven, mm -hmm. welcome back to the paid world. So that's how that then started to move over. Um, and all these seven letters, they are together called a roadmap, which shows me when you are in such kind of a situation, which was my uh, uh, work redundancy, it's not just a journey, because the journey normally you explore without knowing where you go. But when you take it as a roadmap, it's like more a kind of a plan. Where you have oh, a target, wow. where you like to go somewhere. And that's how you've I took got, the change curve. career coaching in, in seven words. So to say, yes. So that, and, that is and, a and, book what I actually, uh, and I actually started writing this book called Chance for Change, but it's not uh, ready yet. And an excerpt, an extract of this was in this book, Lessons I Learned. Fantastic. I will. Uh, I'll definitely put a link to the to the book in in the show notes. And I love it's so catchy as well. From laid off to paid off. Um, I think there are so many people who could um, get a lot of, of of hope, and especially if they're in the dip of that change curve, as you mentioned, that uh, 
just just through listening to this and 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 listening to your own journey and and the own your own advice that you took um to be able to follow that roadmap i think is 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 practical and extremely helpful gonna thank you um yeah, so thank you what, 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 sorry to to add something on this uh, it can happen that, that at the end of the roadmap you're ending somewhere completely different where you initially thought that you will be but you learn so much on the progress so therefore i call it rather how to turn redundancy into a sustainable advantage yeah absolutely wow <laughs> so sort of rounding up uh, our conversation and i this is a, I, i tend to always always ask the first question and always ask the last question and in between we just go on a, a fabulous journey which we've which we've done so today and there's there's some some really good golden nuggets that you've that you've shared there around intentional leadership but if there was one key message gonna that you could leave people who maybe maybe the the person listening to this podcast is the one who has been given that leadership responsibility but is is struggling maybe they are the subject matter expert the technical expert who has been has been offered this opportunity and and thinks gosh you know this is a heavy weight on my shoulders if there was one message you could leave our listeners with around intentional leadership what might that be so my, my message here is to really shape this intention is to develop your own curiosity in other people, the pleasure mm. of seeing them succeed and grow. And even if they grow higher than yourself, it doesn't matter, but you can develop them. And this is for me a very critical thing. That makes a difference also from a manager to a leader, the desire to see people growing. And that only starts with curiosity, active listening, to ensure to do the best for the team because they will pay back this to you as well. Yeah. I love that. That's that's the the perfect wrap up that you've done for us Gunnar. Um oh and uh is it okay if I put your LinkedIn connection on the show notes as well for people to get in touch with you? Yes sure. Fantastic and I'll uh also put your um your gonna habits website as well as i said in the beginning you uh you do this fabulous work at hootsuite and you're still an active entrepreneur gonna i've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i think it's it's practical it's insightful your stories have been great to share um thank you so much for your time it was absolutely worth waiting for Uh, go well continue to do this great work in intentional leadership and thanks again thanks very much for the chance to joining your podcast really enjoy that